Well, it is uh, the new year, and I say happy and blessed new year to all of you who haven't seen you. Now we're recovering. How many of you are on a diet? Anybody? Recovering from the gluttony, which is Christmas, right? And, um, and we're going to, we're just going to, I hope that keeps up, and I hope you keep uh, coming to church each and every Sunday that you possibly can this year and gleaning from the Lord. Well, we're beginning the year differently at Generation Changers Church than we ever have, because usually I begin with a sermon series that's somewhat inspirational, that sets the culture of expectation for the year. And this year, I believe that same thing's going to happen, but in a different way, as God has led us into the study of a particular book of the Bible. And that book is the Gospel of John. In all honesty, I don't know how long it'll take. Don't really care. Just going to follow the Lord in it. Let him speak to our hearts. And when we're done, I am positive we will not but have scratched the surface of the truths that John brought to us in his book. However, every time we gather, I'm believing God is going to speak and it's going to be life to our souls. If you believe that, give God an amen. Now, we've entitled this series Believe because the purpose of the book of John is so that we may believe that he's the Son of God and have life in his name. But before we talk about the book, I want to introduce you today to the earthly author. How many of you have a friend that's written a book? I have a friend here today who's written a book, and it's a study or a commentary on the Gospel of John. He's going to be fact-checking me. Dan, I got you right over there. I see you, buddy. And he's going to help make sure we get it right. But, but when, you have, when you know the author of a book, you understand a little bit more what they're saying, right? Would you agree with that? And we're going to be introduced to him as a person and as a Jesus follower. And then the book of John is going to make a lot more sense to us as we study it together. Now, we first meet the Apostle John at the time of his calling. The book of Mark records this event as Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee. He called Simon and Peter to be his disciples. And let's read on what happened next in Mark 1, 19 and 20. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, watch this phrase, leaving their father, guys, I'm ringing up here just a little bit, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus sees these two successful fishermen. He calls them immediately, and this would be the pivot moment in the life of John the Apostle as he was called to follow Jesus. Today, when we follow someone, we're usually talking about we follow them on social media or we listen to their podcast. But to be called to follow someone in that day would mean that you would literally follow them around and glean from them on a daily basis. It was a mentoring relationship into which John would, was called that would shape the purpose and trajectory of his life. He was called to be a disciple of Jesus, to listen to the teachings of Jesus, and accept those things as the foundational principles of the life that he would live from that point on. It was a call to a daily relationship with Jesus, to experience him in every possible circumstance through the ups and downs of life. And John forsook everything to follow Jesus. Notice that Mark mentions 
when Jesus comes up on them, they're working on their equipment, they have a boat, and there's some hired people with them. So these were not just everyday fishermen that got together on a Friday evening, took their cooler down to the river, and fished all night. These were successful businessmen whose business had grown to the place where they had their own boat, their own equipment, and they had hired employees. So when they left to follow Jesus, they left their family business, they left their livelihood, they left their inheritance, they left their future plans, and they forsook everything to follow Jesus. Let me tell you today, in this world, following still includes forsaking. I thought that would get a bigger amen, but maybe we're just getting cranked up for the first of the year. Following will always include forsaking something. Jesus was not going to be part of John's life. He was not going to compartmentalize him and say, Jesus is Lord of my spiritual life, but I'm going to continue to do my thing over here. Jesus was going to become the center of John's new life. Sure, we may work at the same job and we may live in the same house, but when we come to Jesus, following him still requires us forsaking our life for the new life he calls us to live with him. I wonder if the reason we struggle to follow sometimes is because we haven't forsaken we try to follow Jesus in the road ahead of us, but we haven't forsaken the things behind us. And you know what happens? We get stretched. We're trying to hold on to things that he's called us to forsake and still follow him at the same time. You will never follow Jesus to your future until you're willing to forsake the sins of your past. John forsook his life and everything that went with it. Jesus is still calling people, the good news, just like John, to follow him. He is calling us into a new life, but it is not the casual Sunday morning Christianity that so many practice today. It is a call to forsake our sins and our passions for the thing of this world and make Jesus the center of everything in our life. Jesus is not the center of our spiritual life, and then we leave him out of our marriage. He's not the center of our spiritual life, and we leave him out of our business. He's not the center of our spiritual life, and we leave him out of our social life. He is now the center of everything in our lives. And the new life to which we are called is nothing less than extraordinary. And we see this in the life of John as he begins to follow Jesus. Let's take just a moment and look at John's experience with Jesus. First of all, he had a personal relationship with Jesus. The teacher-student relationship today is much different than it was then. John didn't just have mentoring sessions once a week with Jesus. They didn't meet once a week, and Jesus says, how's it going, John? John says, I'm doing good here. I'm not doing so good here. Jesus gave him a few antidotes, and then they met the next week. That's not what it was. And you know what? You can't be a follower of Jesus just showing up for a Sunday morning mentoring session. As much as I want you to show up, 
for Sunday mornings. That's just the beginning of your walk with the Lord, not the end of those things. He was called to a daily relationship with which, from which he would glean from Jesus everything he needed to live his life. And what's so incredible is Jesus is still calling people into relationship with him. For John to have simply showed up when Jesus taught in the temple would have made this encounter, this experience, no more than a mere religious observance. But Jesus did not and does not call people into the practice of religion. He calls them into purposeful relationship. The reason I believe the Christian faith is faulty at times in our culture today is that we treat it like a religion and not a relationship. You know why? Because a religion depends on our performance. If we perform the right things in the right way, then it works. But how many of you have tried it and it failed? It's not supposed to be a religion based on your observance or performance. It's supposed to be a loving, intimate, close relationship each and every day. It's not the practice, it's a purpose that we embrace. And the call to follow Jesus has nothing to do with observing a religion. It is a call to a personal, loving, intimate relationship that we experience every day of our life. It's a call to be close to Jesus and glean from the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the truth of Jesus. And that begins to shape and form who we are as individuals. And believe me, it's personal. They tell me that the people closest to you are the ones to whom you give nicknames. How many of you have friends or family you've given nicknames to? My nickname in the family is Bubba. Only in the family. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. If your pastor's nickname is Bubba, you might be a redneck, right? Well, it's... But you nickname those people, and usually it has something to do with their persona, unless you're being sarcastic and call the six foot nine, 400 pound guy tiny, right? Do you know that Jesus gave nicknames to James and John? It's in the Bible. What's this? As they're listing the disciples in Mark chapter 3, the Bible gets to James and John, and it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Think about that. The nickname had something to do with their persona. These two, James and John, had an evangelistic zeal. They were so on fire for the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you boys, you're sons of thunder. Wow. I hope that he looks down on us today and calls us sons and daughters of thunder because I believe we ought to have such a passion for the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God and such a zeal to tell everybody about the loving grace of Jesus that God says, you're lightning and thunder in the house. Wow. I wonder if Jesus still nicknames his followers according to their persona. And if he did, what would those names be? Grumpy? Sleepy, dopey, lazy, gossipy. He'd look at me and call me chunky. I understand. I know what you're thinking. 
He'd probably call you Twig. How you like that? Does that feel good? No, it doesn't feel good either way, does it? I wonder if he nicknamed us. Would he nickname us like the seven dwarfs? Or would he nickname us the sons and daughters of thunder? People who are on fire with a passion. They had such a fire that, that on one occasion, John says, hey, if they don't receive you, Jesus, just call fire down from heaven on them. <laughs> he had a lot of zeal. But as he walked with Jesus, his zeal became governed by grace. And we see him become one of the greatest of the apostles among them. Now, listen, the takeaway is this. God doesn't call you into a religion. He calls you into a close personal relationship, so close that he may give you a nickname. But John's relationship took on a greater dimension. And he was in a private circle with Jesus. There were 12 men disciples that followed Jesus. There was a group of women that followed Jesus around and helped provide for the ministry. But there were three people that were his closest confidants, and those were Peter, James, and John, the trio of his closest friends. And John was invited to experience things that other followers were not. Now, it's about to get good in here. <laughs> One of the most incredible moments in the life of Jesus, John was there to witness, and that was the occurrence on the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you believe being a Jew and seeing appear before your very eyes long after they had departed this world, Moses and Elijah appear talking with Jesus? You've got to realize that everything in the Jewish faith hung on the law and the prophets. They still say according to the law and the prophets. So we have Moses there that represents the law and Elijah there that represents the prophets. But a greater revelation was about to unfold. There was a transformational moment in the work of eternity and John was going to be there to see it. But it's interesting that in Mark chapter 9 verse 2, the Bible says in the New Living Translation that Jesus called them up to a high mountain to be alone. It's amazing what can happen when you're willing to spend alone time with Jesus. It's amazing what can take place when it's not just a Sunday morning observance, but every day you're getting in your closet, you're getting at your Bible, you're shutting the door behind you, and you're getting on your knees with the Lord. You get to experience some moments there other people may not experience. And at that moment, the Bible says Jesus' clothes became radiant and white, and a cloud settled in around them. And then the Bible tells us in Mark 9 and 7, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And in that moment, the plan of redemption for all the ages was revealed. It would no longer be living by the letter of the law. It would no longer be reading the words of the prophet for Moses represents the law that Jesus fulfilled. And the Elijah represented the prophets of which Jesus fulfilled their prophecies. And now God says, everything for your life hinges on one thing, and that's my son. It's not the law. It's not the prophets. It's Jesus. And I want you to listen to him. What a glorious moment. God reveals there his plan and saying, all I have to offer you is in my son. And John got to see it because he was willing to go to a high mountain 
to be alone with Jesus. There was another alone moment that he spent with Jesus, and that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was praying, laboring over the cross. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. While other people may have saw Jesus hanging on the cross, John, because of his willingness to forsake everything, got to see it all unfold from the time he was arrested to the time he was resurrected. I want you to know something. Peter may have denied Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. But John was in such a close relationship with Jesus based on Jesus' love for him that John went with him to the cross and beyond. Listen to me. The thing is, when John forsook all to follow Jesus, he got to see and experience things other people did not and will not. And I still believe that Jesus has followers he calls friends. He said, I've not called you to be my servants, but I've called you to be my friend. I believe he's looking for that relationship with every one of us. And he wants to share with us things that others may not experience the more we are willing to walk closely with him. You ever wonder why some people have more revelation seemingly than others? You ever wonder that? You sit there, you go, wow, I can, where did they get that? I tell you where they got it. They didn't get it out of a book. They got it from above. They got it in alone time with Jesus. That's where you get it. And I believe that Jesus is looking for followers who will go to that alone time with him, as did John, and experience those things. I believe that he wants to share things with us, but Jesus doesn't share his secrets with strangers. He's looking for people who will walk with him daily to the cross and beyond, to spend alone time with him, to stand with him, to share with him. Hear me, think about it. In all of this unfolding, although Jesus had earthly siblings that were competent, at the foot of the cross, he looks down and he sees John. And he says, John, behold your mother, woman, which was Mary, his mother, behold your son. It's really important. I believe that God wants people who will draw close to him that he can put in charge of the things that are most precious to him. I believe that Mary was one of the closest things to the heart of Jesus. And because of his closeness with John, he trusted John to take care of his own mother. The king's business must be attended to, and there are important elements of the business of the king's business that have to be attended to by certain people. But I don't believe God just doles that out. I don't believe he just casts that wide net. I believe he draws people close to him. And if he can trust us to be close to him, if he can trust us to walk with him, if he can trust us to be alone with him, come on, somebody, if he can trust us to have that intimate relationship with him, he knows us intricately, and he knows with whom he can trust with one. Want. And I'm grateful now to know that the closer we draw to Jesus, the more he will entrust to us the things which he cares deeply for. Wow. 
after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, this close friend, John, was one that was charged with carrying on his work in the earth. And I want to spend just a few moments sharing with you about the mission of John after Jesus ascended. While the New Testament highlights the ministry of those like Paul and Peter, you can tell from the five books of the Bible that John wrote, he was very involved in the kingdom's work in the first century. First of all, he lived a life of purpose. Paul referred to him in Galatians 2 as a pillar in the Jerusalem church. And history holds the narrative that he went to Ephesus and founded several churches in Asia Minor. But here's the thing. Once he got into close relationship with Jesus, we see him active in the life of the church. Listen to me now. Every Jesus follower is called into active participation in and with the body of Christ. Jesus does not call anyone to follow him that he chooses to ostracize from the rest of his followers. When you are called to walk with Jesus, when you are called into friendship with Jesus, you are called into fellowship with the church. Can I get an amen from somebody? We all become responsible members of the family of God, assuming our role in the body of Christ. John's passion was to lead people to know Jesus and to protect them from doctrines that may hinder their faith in Jesus. He's credited with writing the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. What an extraordinary life of purpose he was called to. But here's the thing. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you also to a life of purpose and participation with his kingdom's work in the earth. And although John lived quite a life of purpose, he also had his share of problems. Taking care of Mary, the mother of our Lord, working for the Lord every day, he still had problems. It did not equal a trouble-free existence. And I think where the, that's where the gospel of Jesus is breaking down today, is that we preach such a fluffy gospel. And then when people run into difficulty, it doesn't match the gospel that they've heard. And that's when we take our ball and go home. Throw in the towel and quit. Third John indicates that he faced some rejection from some of the leadership with which he corresponded. You mean that John had problems with people in the church? Yep. Sleepy, grumpy, and dopey. <laughs> and meanie. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. The church is made up of imperfect people. And if you even speak to someone on a Sunday morning, there's the possibility that you might become offended. That's why some of you slip in late at the back seat. You sit back there and don't want to get offended, right? When you follow Jesus, you're going to have issues with other Christians. Listen to me. You're not going to be without problems even with people in the church. And so many times people get offended with someone in the church and they let a non-spiritual person determine their spiritual connection and they pick up and they move and they go to the next church offended and guess what they're never free from that offense because once you've been offended one time it's easier to be offended the next time and their life becomes dominated by 
the problems they've incurred with other people. Listen, other people are no more perfect than you are. We all carry flaws. We all have sharp edges. And we're all going to rub one another the wrong way sometimes. I'm going to preach something that's going to upset somebody at some time. <laughs> Most every week. You hear the laughter coming up, right? I'm going to fail to recognize you when I pass you if I'm running to the car to get to the Lebanon campus. It's going to be easy to get offended by people in the church. But John didn't let any offense with church people keep him. Don't let the mean people in the church keep you from enjoying the good people in the church. Is that nice enough to say it that way? And don't let someone else who may be struggling and not aware that you might be struggling offend you. Not only did he face problems with people in the church, he faced the persecution of Rome. Tertullian, the early church father, records that while they were trying to kill him, <laughs> here was the creative way they tried to kill John. They heated up a vat of oil and tried to boil him alive. You may experience people in the church who don't understand you and disagreements with parts of God's family. And you will certainly find a culture in today's world that wants to cancel you. You don't get any more canceled than cooked alive. <laughs> but listen to me. Don't let problems you face or persecution you face stop you because when you look at the life of John, this John they would begin to call John the Revelator, he walked in divine power. Listen to me. When they tried to boil him in oil, he wouldn't die. So they decided to exile him to the prisoner's island of Patmos. And they think by putting him in this isolated place that his sentence is going to silence his voice. But it was on the Isle of Patmos that he would once again be alone with Jesus and he would write a book saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he would begin to unfold the apocalypse and the ends of the age. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that John is living proof that if you stick with Jesus no matter what, if we'll walk with him to the cross and beyond, then no weapon formed against you will prosper and your sentence will not silence you and the devil cannot defeat you. Come on, somebody. When you determine you're walking with Jesus no matter what, that's when the experience becomes extraordinary. And here's the thing. God's power is greater than any problem or persecution you will incur in the journey. John died sometime after 98 AD. But do you know this? He was the only disciple that died peacefully, not at the hand of persecutors. He was so close to Jesus that Jesus saw to it that nobody else would take his life. That's powerful to me. For John, life was all about Jesus. Think about these things. He first forsook all to follow Jesus. He enjoyed a unique closeness with Jesus. 
He witnessed incredible things because of Jesus. He accomplished amazing achievements because of Jesus. He walked in power and purpose with Jesus. And then just before he dies, he's looking for Jesus. For when you read the last couple of verses of the entire New Testament, you will find these words in Revelation 22 and 20. He who testifies of these things, what did he say? This is the testimony of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. John's life describes the Christian life perfectly. Forsaking all to follow Jesus, living a life with Jesus, you can never live without Jesus. And when it comes your time to go, you're looking for Jesus. But there's one more element to John's life that's guiding this study. It wasn't just about his personal experience with Jesus. He wanted everyone to believe in Jesus. That's why he wrote in John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We are doing this series of the book of John so that we may all believe Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. But the good news is, you don't have to wait till the series is over. Let me give you another testimony. Has anybody in this room made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Would you just raise up your hand? Now, wait a minute. You can put them down for a second. Let me ask the second question. How many of you can testify your life is different since you met Jesus than before Jesus? Keep those hands up high. Now, any of my soon-to-be brothers and sisters who've not accepted Jesus yet, take a look. Here's evidence right in front of you all over this room that Jesus is the Son of God and you can have life in his name. If you believe it and receive it, God, give God a shout of praise in this room. <laughs> Pastor Blake is coming right now to give you a simple opportunity to believe. God bless you. I love you. I want to ask the prayer team to come and I want to invite you to stand with us. I believe that God's presence is in the house today. And as his presence is here, it comes with a purpose. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to two different groups of people today. I believe he's speaking to those who haven't made the decision to accept Jesus as Lord, to accept him as Savior, to, to start a new relationship to start a relationship with him it's, as Pastor Barry said it's not about a religion it's not about doing all of the right things and not doing all of the wrong things it's about an intimate personal one on one relationship I believe that there are others here who maybe you know Jesus but you haven't forsaken things that that have come between you and him. 
There's things that you've put as more of a priority in your life than, than following him. And, and I would go as so far as to say that the depth of your relationship with him is going to be based on your willingness to, to forsake. And so if there's some things that, that you know that are coming in between you and your relationship with Jesus now, or if, if you are here today and you know that you need to start this new relationship, I tell you, there is no better way than the first Sunday of the year to start a relation, to start the year than with a renewal in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you need to accept him for the first time. Maybe you're here and you just need to have a time of recommitment, of forsaking, of turning away from, a time of repentance, turning away from the things that have come in between you and him in the past year. Whoever you are, I just want to invite you to come now as the team is going to begin to sing. That No one's looking around. This is a time for you and God, and the prayer team is down here and available. So I just want to invite you to come now as we just surrender this time to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do. Minister to hearts. Minister to lives. We celebrate you right now, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you, Father. We're here to build our lives on you. We build our lives on you, Jesus.